Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we'll examine the ongoing saga with the Seattle Supersonics with Jerry Brewer of the Seattle Times. NBA owners gathered this week at the Board of Governors meeting in New York, and there was a lot to discuss when determining the fate of this NBA franchise that has resided in Seattle since 1967. Former owner and Starbucks magnate Howard Schultz has also filed a lawsuit trying to rescind the sale of the team to Clay Bennett and his group of fellow Oklahomans. Lots to discuss with Jerry Brewer. We'll do that coming up in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, Charles Robinson, he's Yahoo Sports' as NFL reporter. He'll join us to preview next weekend's NFL draft in New York City. The Miami Dolphins are on the clock with the first pick in the draft, and there will be lots of big business decisions to make for NFL owners and GMs throughout the weekend-long draft. We'll discuss that and many other NFL topics. That's coming up with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, it's NBA playoff time. Believe it or not, the NFL draft gets higher TV ratings than the NBA playoffs. But I think there's a lot of people, including myself, that are looking very much forward to the rematch from last year, the Phoenix Suns, the San Antonio Spurs. This time, the Suns bring Shaq to the fight. Well, yeah, and let's, uh, let's forget about the NFL uh, draft because you watch for the, about the first six hours and then you tune out. But I will say this. I picked the Spurs and the Celtics at the beginning of the season to be in the championship. I'm going to stick by that pick. But what I really want to see is I want to see the Suns advance. We saw what a great and compelling playoff it was last year. I'd love to see it again. NBA Finals ratings have been the worst they've ever been for the last two years. So the league is praying for Boston, L.A., Boston, Phoenix, some teams with some marquee players. Not that LeBron James isn't marquee, but if you get a San Antonio or a Detroit in there, it's going to be big trouble for the NBA, even a Utah. Very compelling end to the regular season. Every game meant something down to the final game. So I'm looking forward to the playoffs. We've got headlines coming up next. Masters ratings, TV ratings. We're going to give you all the numbers. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headlines, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, CBS earned an 8.9 overnight Nielsen rating for last Sunday's final round coverage of the Masters. That's down about 2% from a 9.121 last year when the final round was played on Easter. Trevor Immelman won his first major at this year's event with Tiger Woods finishing three strokes back in second place. Now, CBS earned a 6.1 overnight for Saturday's third round coverage. That's up slightly from last year. Meanwhile, ESPN hit a total home run with their coverage of the Masters. It was the most viewed cable golf telecast ever on any cable network. To top it off, ESPN's Masters video podcast was the most downloaded sports podcast on iTunes last weekend. Nathan, good numbers for the Masters on CBS. And if you're Nike Golf, you've got to be pretty happy. You went one, two, three. Trevor Emmelman, Tiger Woods, Stuart Sink. Lots of good exposure for Nike Golf coming down the stretch. Well, Nike, of course, had to make up for the fact that they had no teams in the championship game of the NCAA tournament. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included, they saw Tiger's name in second place, but you kind of tuned out because you figured, well, he's four strokes back, but then we saw Immelman. He started to fall apart at the end. He pulled it together. But, I mean, Tiger finishing second isn't really the story there. Emmelman held it together so the Tiger couldn't go to a playoff with him, which is what I was hoping for. I'm still hoping for the tournament where we get to see Mickelson and Woods go at it, mano a mano. But I'll tell you what, Emmelman has burst onto the scene now. He might be heard from in the future. Now, our second headline, also golf-related, big story here. Tiger Woods had arthroscopic surgery on his left knee on Tuesday to repair cartilage damage. That's his second operation in five years on the same knee. He's expected to miss at least a month while he recovers. The surgery announced on his website came two days after the Masters. He will likely miss the Players' Championship and the Wachovia Championship, where he's the defending champ. He should be back in time to play for the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. Anytime Tiger is out, it's bad for TV ratings. It's bad for ticket sales at the event. Most of these events just with the promise of Tiger coming, are already sold out. But the Wachovia Championship, they're probably the biggest loser of anyone on this whole deal. Well, yeah, there is no other sport that relies as much on one athlete as golf. I mean, you look at even tennis, you know, obviously basketball or any of the major sports, it is all about Tiger. If Tiger's not there, even Phil Mickelson, who's a household name and a big name, if Tiger's not there, there's ratings are down, and so are the attendance at the events. Our next headline, the NFL announced its regular season schedule this week. Eight teams are tied for the most scheduled primetime appearances with five. That's the Bears, Browns, Chargers, Colts, Cowboys, Eagles, Patriots, and Steelers. The Chiefs, Dolphins, Falcons, Lions, and Rams are the only teams that are not currently scheduled to appear in primetime. Of the 32 appearances by teams scheduled for NBC Sunday Night Football, there were 25 playoff appearances last season among them. Of the 34 appearances by teams on ESPN's Monday Night Football, there were 14 playoff appearances. Of the 16 appearances by teams on the NFL Network, there were six playoff appearances. Basically, Nathan, all we need to know is I think according to the schedule that came out this week, TV-wise, NBC is the big winner. They've got a lot of really good games, including Colts-Patriots in Week 9. Well, not only that, but they know how to pick the teams that are going to make it late into the season. You know, NBC does the best job as far as I'm concerned in terms of coverage. I love Monday Night Football. It's a staple. 
but Sunday night football and the coverage is bar none the best. Now there's an international flair to the schedule this year. In addition to the previously announced uh, matchup between the Chargers and the Saints at London's Wembley Stadium on October 26th, the league will travel outside U.S. borders for a second international unfriendly game this season. Toronto's first journey into meaningful NFL football will feature the Buffalo Bills and the Dolphins in a 1 p.m. matchup from the Rogers Center on December 7th. That's in Toronto. A lot of people think Buffalo ultimately wants to move to Toronto. First time a game from the NFL will be played in Toronto. It'll be interesting to see how the crowd turns out for that one. Well, what's surprising to me about this is the fact that it's so late in the season that they're going to play a game at a different uh, at a different stadium. Typically, you think of them playing games at Wembley or somewhere else early in the season, but that's that's pretty close to playoff time, and if there's any factor in there, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Lots more on the NFL coming up in segment four with Yahoo Sports NFL reporter Charles Robinson. Now, Majestic Reality Chair and CEO Ed Roski this week. He unveiled plans for a proposed NFL stadium in the city of industry, aimed at luring the league back to the Los Angeles area. Roski's proposal is different from most because he controls the land necessary to build the stadium, training facilities, and related development, and he already has a certified environmental impact report for the site. Roski said that if an NFL team is willing to relocate, construction on the stadium can begin this fall and be finished in time for the 2011 season. He added that the team could begin playing in L.A. as soon as the 2009 season and conceivably use the L.A. Coliseum or the Rose Bowl as a temporary home. Now, it's worth noting that the NFL was not a part of this press conference this week. But, you know, Nathan, it really is remarkable. You look at the success of the NFL, and they haven't been in Los Angeles, the nation's number two media market, since the Raiders left all the way back in 1995, 13 years. You would think most leagues would crumble if they didn't get into a market the size of Los Angeles, but the NFL continues to thrive. Well, the NFL can survive anywhere. I mean, look at how well they do in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, you know, all of the USC fans and personnel are certainly holding their breath right now because that's the last thing they want is for an NFL team to move in. USC football is the NFL of L.A., and if the NFL moves in, I'm interested to see what attendance will, happen, what attendance will do at USC football games. Buffalo, New Orleans, Jacksonville, uh, and Minnesota, all teams on the list that could relocate. There will not be expansion in the NFL, so if a team does wind up in L.A., uh, they're going to have to get a team to relocate. And this is an expensive proposition for someone to build a stadium with the hopes that a team is going to relocate. Our last headline, Coca-Cola on Wednesday held its annual shareholder meeting in Wilmington, Delaware, and protesters engaged chair and CEO Neville Isdell in a rare public dialogue about China's human rights record in Tibet. This according to the New York Times. Basically, Nathan, this turned in to a, a protest by shareholders wanting to know why is Coca-Cola involved as an Olympic sponsor and not protesting China's practices in Darfur and Tibet. This is probably just the beginning of what other sponsors who are Olympic sponsors are also going to encounter from shareholders and protesters alike. Well, yeah, and this is such a big decision from Coca-Cola. I mean, aside from Visa, maybe Coca-Cola is one of the biggest sponsors of the Olympics. So this isn't one they take lightly. Now, don't expect these companies to stand on politics. A lot of them make a lot of money in China. For example, the company's case volume sales in China, Coca-Cola, jumped 20% last year. It's one of the highest figures of any of their territories in the entire world. 
There's 1.3 billion people in China. These companies want to get those consumers. They're going to think of that before they're going to think of politics. Coming up next, Jerry Brewer from the Seattle Times. Are the Seattle Sonics going to stay in Seattle? Will anyone find a way to keep them there? Or are they headed to Oklahoma City? We will discuss that with Jerry Brewer from the Seattle Times next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Jerry Brewer. He's a sports columnist with the Seattle Times. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, No problem. My pleasure. So, Jerry, one of the biggest stories in sports for the past several months, and, and it's all coming to a head now, the Seattle Supersonics and their future. Obviously, we've seen that Clay Bennett, the current owner, and... All of his other owners, also from Oklahoma City, want to move the team from Seattle to Oklahoma City. The Board of Governors meeting is this week in New York City. Uh, Give us the latest. You wrote a real interesting column this week. I thought it was a very fascinating, unique angle, calling out Portland Trailblazers owner and Seattle native Paul Allen to vote no on the relocation. Tell me the theory behind that. Well, the theory behind it is just to get a Seattle guy even though he owns the Blazers, he's a Seattle guy, just kind of stand up for Seattle because, uh, as you know, a lot of these things are just formalities. Uh, Normally the the owners don't go against each other because who knows when they're going to need that board of governors to vote for them. Right. So you're just hoping, Seattle's just hoping that somebody can step up in that meeting and tell people to just consider Seattle's side of the story right now. And there's a lot of things hanging out there. I, I don't understand how owners can approve a move uh, when the team is still stuck in a lease. And I don't understand how owners can approve a move when the owner is being sued by the former owner to get the team back. Uh, all those things that are kind of hanging out there, uh, I think it, it sort of there should be more consideration. Uh, to this and just say, okay, done deal, let's go home. Well, it sounds like Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban may be someone who does do exactly what you're wanting Paul Allen to do. Uh, You know, comments I've read from him said that he's not in favor of the move. You know, and if you think about it, Jerry, 
uh, and we've talked about this extensively on this show, Seattle is the gateway to the Far East. China is such an important market for the NBA. Seattle is obviously a major city in the United States. It doesn't make any business sense for the NBA to lose a franchise in Seattle and then move it to Oklahoma City. No, it doesn't when you see the big picture. But I think what you have is a, a frustrated commissioner who is like, okay, all right, you guys don't want to get this arena done on my schedule. Well, I'm just going to allow you to move. You know, this will show this will show you a lesson. Um, and I think we're dealing with a lot of that because it doesn't make uh, sense long term. And we're starting to discover evidence that uh, maybe Clay Bennett lied to David Stern about his intentions a year ago. And I don't understand how David Stern can just brush that off. Let's talk for a moment, Jerry, about this uh, Howard Schultz lawsuit that was filed this week. He's the former owner of the Sonics. He's Mr. Starbucks. Uh, is this a PR ploy on Schultz's part, or do you think he really feels like he can win this lawsuit and have the sale rescinded and the team returned to him? I think it's about half and half. I think uh, you know uh, Howard knows that if the Sonics leave, then you know next. Next winter, he's going to have to wear a Kevlar vest <laughs> made of his uh, coffee beans. Yeah. So, um, I think a part of it's that, so that so that he won't go down in history as uh, the guy who ruined the Sonics and, and made a move. And but I also think part of it is that you know he he's been following what's going on and he's a little bit upset about it. And you know, as as one of the prominent citizens. In Seattle, uh, it's kind of it's kind of appropriate for him to uh, stand up and, and join in on the fight. I think there was a lot of pressure from city leaders for him to try to do something. The problem I have with it, Jerry, I guess, is Howard Schultz made $150 million on the sale of the Sonics, and I think he had plenty of opportunity to work at a deal in Seattle, and now he's coming in after the fact and trying to play the hero, and I just think if he wanted to be the hero, he should have done something back in 2006 instead of waiting until this happened now. And let's face it, Clay Bennett and every single member of the Sonics ownership group is from Oklahoma City. So wasn't the handwriting on the wall? Yeah, exactly. You think that you know one of the finest businessmen in the world um, couldn't be that naive. He understood what he was doing. and He saw he got a really good deal, and he jumped on it. And no, no, you're not going to be able to sue to get your team back. That's not going to happen. But uh, what I think a lot of this is a maybe a a plan. And, and um, Clay Bennett uh, is is sort of believing that there's sort of a Machiavellian plan uh, to kind of drain the Oklahoma owners of money uh, while they're fighting to get the team. And I do think there's a bit of a strategy. Uh, where the city wants to kind of throw as much as they can at these Oklahoma owners and hope that they might run away. But that's likely not going to happen. Yeah, and it's a good strategy because if you look back a few years ago, several years ago, this is exactly what happened with the Seattle Seahawks. Ken Baring wanted to sell the team, and Paul Allen bought an option to buy the team, and they drained Ken Baring, and they wore him down, and finally he sold the team to Paul Allen. Isn't that what's going on here doesn't uh, everyone in Seattle want Clay Bennett to sell the team to someone like Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer and then keep the team locally in the hope it looks like is when this 
lawsuit coming up where they uh, the key arena lease is enforced. He's got to stay there for the next two years, and he's going to go, geez, I don't want to be a lame duck, sit around for two years waiting to move my team. Okay, I'll go ahead and sell. Yeah, and you hope that the fact that they have so many owners in on this, so many investors, that maybe that group might start to break up just a little bit. And the big difference is, is I, I think that uh, these guys are, are are sort of seeing it as their civic responsibility to bring an NBA team to Oklahoma City. So they're going to be very uh, steadfast in their desire to keep on fighting. And it's going to be real interesting to see how this summer plays out because, you know, for me, I don't want to see a, if the team if the team is going to move, I say just let them move. Um, I don't see any situation where once the board of governors approves this move that it's going to be any good for either party, the city or for uh, Clay Bennett's Sonics, uh, to stick around because it's just going to be uh, two very dull years where everybody's looking for for signs of life and rays of hope and there's all these little uh, crazy, wacky ideas that wind up being nothing. We're joined by Jerry Brewer. He's the sports columnist for the Seattle Times. You can read him online at seattletimes.com. Jerry, let's talk for a moment about the next few months. When is the date of this key arena hearing where we find out, hey, this thing's going to be enforced for the next two years, or he can get out of the lease uh, by paying it off early? It's scheduled for for June, and I think it's the middle of June, and that's that's the real battle because you know I, I expect the owners to. Uh, it's a simple majority, and surely sixteen owners are going to say yes. Uh, so the move has already been approved, and then in June, uh, you know, just kind of hoping against hope. And I'm not quite sure uh, that the, the wording in that lease is, is very funny. And a lot of times, you know, as you know with any lease, um, a lot of times you only owe people uh, the money. And um, uh, they're, they're willing to make an offer that's, that's well above uh what would what would be right for this situation in order to move? So it's going to be a, a very interesting a court battle. It's going to be really really nasty. Yeah, just reading the papers, your paper, indeed, uh, you can see that it's the only people that are winning in this scenario are the lawyers. Yeah, exactly. They're going to get really really rich. Yeah, no kidding. Over the next few months. Hey, Jerry, we've got just a few minutes left uh, for people who. Haven't been to Seattle. They haven't spent any time in Seattle. Seattle's the Sonics have been there since 1967. Explain where the Sonics are in in Seattle lore. And are people upset about this right now, or is there some apathy and they're going, okay, if you don't want to be here, go ahead and and leave. Yeah, there's a mixture of emotions, and uh, that's a little bit disappointing that you can't have that one strong united front. But I think that's just going to be the way it is when you have a diverse city. Uh, the Sonics are the oldest professional sports franchise in Seattle, and I wouldn't say they're most beloved right now, but that's kind of cyclical in, in, in sports. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a very, very good basketball town. Uh, people are, are very smart about their basketball. Uh, they appreciate good basketball. Um and it's it, it would just be a, a a real travesty if that was kind of robbed uh, from Seattle because you know in this day and age you don't know when you're going to get an NBA team back. 
Yeah, it's very, very hard. So before I let you go, look into your crystal ball and tell me how you think this is going to play out. I think what's going to happen ultimately is that uh, the, the team is going to be in a situation where they're allowed, the move gets approved this week, uh, but they stay stuck in a lease, and it's going to be uh, two uh, very painful uh, lame duck years. Yeah, I tend to think that's going to happen, too, and I think in those two years, uh, you know, we'll see if there's any success that people can convince Clay Bennett to sell the team in the meantime. But uh, I think, like you said, he and his fellow owners are pretty uh, steadfast. Yeah, the only scenario I could see is, is if fans just don't come to the games. And then, you know, you're talking about the tens of millions that you're losing. It could be, you know, in the 50s and 60 million. And I don't think they could bleed like that for two years, but... Uh, you know, fans are fans. Uh, you know, a lot of them are going to think if we just support the team, there might be some last-minute miracle. Well, Jerry Brewer, sports columnist of the Seattle Times, thanks so much for joining us on uh, this edition of Sports Business Radio. Uh, no problem. My pleasure. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Charles Robinson. He's Yahoo Sports' NFL reporter. You can check out his work at yahoosports.com. Charles, thanks so much for joining us again. Absolutely, no problem. I'd love to be on. So next weekend, April 26th and 27th in New York, the NFL draft. And I want to get to some of the economics. It's really amazing what the draft has become. For people who don't realize, the TV ratings for the NFL draft are better than the TV ratings for the early rounds of the NBA playoffs. That tells you how much attention is focused on the NFL, even during their offseason. Charles, let's first start by talking about some of the economics for 2008. What's the salary cap number for this year for each team? Uh, well, actually, they, they, the salary cap number for each team, as far as the draft pool goes, um, is, is not specifically set for each team. It all depends on uh, the number of, of picks you have. It all depends on your, your – every team has an allotted rookie draft pool, but that's going to, pe- to depend on, once the draft is over, how many players you've actually actually selected. So – Say you begin the draft with uh, 10 draft picks, but by the end of the draft you've traded away a few to move up or move down. By the end of the day you actually only end up with seven drafted players, and obviously they're at various levels in each round. Then the NFL looks at your pool and says, okay, 
here's your given pool. So one team that has, say, you know, seven given picks will only be allowed to sign, you know, up to, say, five or six million dollars in contracts next year, whereas another team that ends up with ten picks, uh, you know, will, will be given a larger draft pool. So it, it actually isn't set. And the, the funny thing about it is no one seems to understand how exactly this equation <laughs> Right. Everyone is always trying to figure out, you know, well, well, what, uh, you know, what are the points? What are the the bullet points that really determine what amount you have in a, in a salary structure? And and there, it's very very complicated. And like I said, it all depends on, you know, where your pick is in the first round, where it is in the second round. The higher it is, obviously, the larger your your salary allotment's going to be. And you know, things tend to change uh, as you move picks around. So there's no set set amount right now. But uh, if your team has a lot of picks, you, you know, just expect you're going to have, you know, a large uh, salary cap pool to deal with it. There's never been a problem, obviously, uh, or very rarely has there ever been a problem with a team not having a large enough pool to sign all their picks. Now, that's mainly the rookie cap. Isn't there a hard number, like $116 million, as far as what each team gets for a salary cap? Yes, yes. The the, the actual hard salary cap uh, for next year, I believe, is going to move to, I want to say, 118.5, but I, I don't hold me to that because I think there uh, at the last owners' meetings there was some discussion about there might be uh, a slight fluctuation with with that number, but yeah, there there is a hard salary cap in place. Um, that is, uh, I, I wish I could tell you off the top of my head, but I actually do not have that fixed number off the top of my head. No, the amazing thing about the NFL, and I think one of the reasons why the league is so successful, is you take that 118 million dollars, 116, whatever it is, and each team is getting so much money from the TV deal that it almost covers your cap. I mean, yes, the cap has uh, increased a lot in the last few years, but uh, these owners, it's almost like it's a dummy-proof league. Even if you aren't very good with your money, you can still make money because you're getting so much money from TV revenues. Oh, yeah, TV revenues, I mean, now really have shaped the league. I mean, you want, if you want to look at uh, the reason why the salary cap has, has really exploded over the last few seasons, it's because of, obviously, that absolutely titanic TV deal that was inked, you know, two years ago. And really, that's that's where the future of this league lies. I mean, that TV revenue, um, you know, by and large, really makes up uh, the, the uh, you know, even when you want to look at uh, the amount of money teams are making off of tickets, TV revenue is really what has allowed this league to continue to grow at the, the pace that it has. And, um, you know, people want to talk about the, expl- the explosion of contracts, the explosion of um, really just finances uh, overall infrastructure in the league, the way that, you know, uh, stadiums now are, are being built for upwards of $600 million to a billion dollars. A lot of that is tied to, you know, the television revenues. And, um, you know, today uh, the, the league that you're looking at now and, and really where it's projected to go in the future so much of that is those TV revenues, and and you talk about that NFL draft and the ratings that that it gets this weekend. Uh, that is your TV revenues at work. The part of the package that ESPN signed when it brought on those NFL games, part of holding NFL rights contracts. You have the ability to have the NFL draft this weekend, and believe me, they make money hand over fist uh, the upcoming in the upcoming draft. We're joined by Charles Robinson. He's Yahoo Sports' NFL reporter. You can check him out at yahoosports.com. Charles, Mario Williams 
and then Jamarcus Russell. They've been the top picks in the draft the last two seasons. What can some of the top picks this year expect to make? You know, you obviously have the guaranteed money, then you have the overall contract. Right. What are we talking about this year? Well, okay, a lot of, of this year's money is going to depend on the, the, the salary that's negotiated, obviously, at number one by the Miami Dolphins. And then once you get beyond that, it's it's pretty slotted. I mean, you, you see a small bump downward uh, for every pick in the first round of the draft. And, it, you know, sometimes that fluctuates depending on, say, if you have a lineman who goes number one and a quarterback who goes number three. Quarterbacks tend to carry a little bit of a premium. But really, what you want to look at is the guaranteed money. I mean, this year you're probably going to be looking at uh, the first overall pick, some, signing something in the neighborhood of six years, around you know the mid 60s, about 65 million dollars, and, and that's based on you know over the last few years you started to creep up into that area of of the six year, 60 million dollar deal. But really, everyone looks at. Uh, the guaranteed money, and there's been a bump every year, obviously. $24 million guaranteed money for Alex Smith in 2005, 26.5 to Mario Williams in 2006, and then last year, Jamarcus Russell carrying that quarterback premium, which comes along with some escalators, uh, got a $32 million uh, amount in, in guaranteed money, but once again, that that's a lot of that has to do with escalators. Now, this year is going to be a little bit awkward because you're looking at possibly a guy like Michigan's Jake Long being the number one overall pick by the Miami Dolphins. Now, taking an offensive tackle number one a year after a quarterback, a lot of teams don't like the idea of paying uh, an offensive tackle, really any other position other than quarterback, uh, a bump over the previous year's number one. So, Right now, I think you've got the Miami Dolphins. They're negotiating with Jake Long. They're saying, okay, $32 million for Jamarcus Russell last year, but you're an offensive tackle. And you know what? You might end up going third or fourth in the draft if we don't take you number one. So the the Dolphins are going to try and get Jake Long to take a guaranteed number under that $32 million and probably an overall contract less than the six-year, you know, 60, I believe it was about six years, 62, 61, 62 million that Jamarcus Russell signed last year. You're going to be looking at Miami trying to get Jake Long to take a little bit under that. Now, agents, obviously, they don't like to do that. You never want to take uh, less money than than a pick received the, the year before. That hurts business. You have... You know, your clients the following year say, why did you take uh, less money as a number one than the year before? So that's really the struggle that's going on right now with the Miami Dolphins and and really anyone who's being uh, looked at with that number one overall pick. Obviously, Chris Long, the defensive end out of the University of Virginia, is another candidate, uh, possibly even, you know, uh, in a trade scenario, Darren McFadden out of Arkansas. Uh, so it's still a lot of work to be done at that number one overall pick. But you're looking at about six years and $60 million, no matter who that is. Charles, around draft time, we always hear about potential trades. Uh, Chad Johnson, Pac-Man Jones, we're hearing lots of chatter about them, but we're also hearing, like we just discussed, with the Miami Dolphins, may they trade out of that number one slot. What are you hearing right now? Absolutely, it's still possible. They're, they're, uh, although they've begun to, to negotiate uh, with Jake Long, the Miami Dolphins are still keeping their options open at the number one pick. The St. Louis Rams as well had a chance to talk to Scott Linehan at the owners' meetings. And one of the things that he indicated was, you know, look, we don't necessarily have to sit at number two. We could still move back. The Oakland Raiders sitting at number four, uh, you know, really like Darren McFadden. And, you know, they have a crowded backfield. But ultimately, it's all up to Al Davis. And I think if Al Davis really wants Darren McFadden and feels like he might need to move up from four, 
uh, maybe move up to two uh, where the St. Louis Rams are sitting to get McFadden. He may do that. Now, this, one of the things that's happened today that is very, very interesting or, or really has kind of developed over the last few days, Steve McNair retiring from the Baltimore Ravens uh, now puts the Ravens, who are sitting at number eight, in a spot where they can't really afford to miss out on Matt Ryan, Boston College's quarterback. They need to get a quarterback in this draft. That absolutely has become a must. So you could look at the Baltimore Ravens possibly trying to move up from number eight to to grab Matt Ryan. They could move to number five where the Kansas City Chiefs are sitting. Uh, They could move to number two where the St. Louis Rams are sitting. But now all of a sudden you're looking at the Ravens looking at possibly becoming a major player moving up in this draft. We're joined by Charles Robinson. He's Yahoo Sports as an NFL reporter. We've got just a few minutes left. Charles, uh, we learned this week that construction is soon going to begin on a new stadium in Los Angeles. Developers hope the stadium will attract the team to the nation's number two media market. Because it's unlikely there's going to be expansion, which NFL teams might consider moving to Los Angeles from their current location? Well, you know, I mean, really, you're, you're going to have several. And, and I think one of the things that you have to look at is, you know, those small revenue teams that seem to every year have issues um, and, and come up in, in talks with possibly moving and, and also have stadium problems. I still think right now the Minnesota Vikings are a team that definitely uh, could be moving within the next, you know, several years. Now, um, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that have to be worked out. And, and uh, you know, from listening to Roger Goodell, he is not uh, – I don't think he's really opening uh, open at this point to having any team move out of their city at this point. But but the reality with the Minnesota Vikings is, you know, Ziggy Wolf has not had – the owner of the Vikings has not had um, an easy time getting uh, approval for a new stadium. I mean, he's having uh, financial issues. You know, the Vikings uh, – the, the the bottom line is the Metrodome, where they play now, is falling apart. They need a new stadium. The University of Minnesota, unfortunately, for Ziggy Wilf and, and also the Minnesota Twins, have, have been able to jump on the stadium issue prior to him. So it puts him in a bad spot where I think the Minnesota Vikings will definitely be eyeing moving if they can't get that done. The Buffalo Bills. Another team that possibly, you know, Ralph Wilson Stadium uh, continues to be in a state of disrepair. You know, there are talks about, uh, you know, obviously with Buffalo uh, eyeing Toronto, playing a game in Toronto. Uh, Toronto, I think unabashedly, is wooing the Buffalo Bills, you know, to move to that city. So I think this is a reality of of the NFL landscape nowadays. With the way uh, the finances we're seeing, we talked about the television money, um, you know, we've talked about this salary cap. You're talking about, you know, the CBA and potential labor strife uh, in the future. Owners are not going to stand pat when they see uh, an opportunity to make more money because really that is what this league continues to be about. And, and Los Angeles, with this talk of, of this new potential stadium uh, opening up and, and really needing uh, a team to move in there and, and at this point having no – I, I think the New Orleans Saints were a team that people looked at and said that was a team that was far and away clearly a, a potential team to move. Well, now there's no longer any any uh, obvious team. So I, I think that kind of opens it up a little bit. But I, I still think you look at Buffalo, you look at Minnesota, those are the two teams that I think over the next five years, if there's going to be an NFL team move, I think it's going to be one of those two. The other team I think you add to the mix with uh, New Orleans, Buffalo, and Minnesota is I think you got to add Jacksonville. Jacksonville's had a yes. tough time selling tickets. They're a really good football team, 
and they're the third team in Florida. They're kind of the afterthought. And I think Jacksonville would do really well in the Los Angeles uh, market. All right, last question. we got to ask about our old friend Michael Vick. What's Michael Vick doing these days? We know he's in prison. We, we hear that he might be playing some uh, pickup football. But what's the story with Michael Vick, and what's the long-term prognosis for him? Well, I think the, the most unique development um, that I've seen in a while in this whole story is, is really that Arthur Blank is keeping in touch with Michael Vick. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Michael Vick is, is uh, housed right now at Leavenworth Prison. Um, there had been talk that he had entered uh, or was, was trying to gain entrance to a, basically a, a substance abuse uh, program that would allow him to slice off up to a year from, from his stay. But at this point, from what we understand, um, he has not been admitted to that program at this point. So uh, there was an opportunity that possibly, possibly Michael Vick would be back for the 2009 season. Those uh, hopes seem to be fading a little bit. But I think it's very interesting to me that Arthur Blank continues to be in touch with him. There's no doubt. I mean, Michael Vick is is no longer in the in the future plans of the Atlanta Falcons. But, you know, if he enters this, this uh, diversion program and, and has a year shaved off, I think if there's any team that he could end up landing on again um, that would be willing to take an, a chance on him, it might be Arthur Blank. And, you know, Blank, interestingly enough, at the owners' meetings, uh, spoke very, very uh, kindly of Michael Vick, you know, uh, basically said that he's very happy to stay in contact with him and that, um, you know, he thinks that this has been an experience that will change Michael Vick's life. And to me, if there's a guy who's going to be coming back to the NFL after having a two-season layoff and needing someone in his corner, Arthur Blank might still be that guy, as unreal as it seems. I still think that this is, like, the perfect opportunity for uh, the longest yard part three. You know, we saw the Burt <laughs> Reynolds one. We saw the Adam Sandler, Chris Rock one. I mean, come on. This is it. This is, this is a movie waiting to happen, don't you think? Well, and, and it's only a matter of time before uh, you know, Pac-Man Jones joins him. No, <laughs> no, actually, he's, hey, he's trying to get himself turned around too. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to Morton's.com. Charles, always t- great to talk NFL with you. I know you're very busy this week with the draft coming up. Uh, thanks for making time for us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I love the show. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, it's become pretty customary for most NBA teams to hold a fan appreciation night, the last home game of the season. The New York Knicks are no different, and their last fan appreciation night at Madison Square Garden, they gave all fans unlimited free food and non-alcoholic drinks starting one full hour before tip-off. They finished the season 23-59, and 59, Nathan, and I'm sure the best gift they could give to fans during the offseason is to fire head coach Isaiah Thomas and find someone who can actually coach and manage that team. Yeah, and if they're not going to give that gift, then next year make it free booze because I'm going to need a lot of alcohol to watch Isaiah Thomas try to coach that team. I think a couple years ago, didn't Mark Cuban give away free airline tickets American to Airlines. American Airlines gave away tickets to everybody at the Maver- at the American Airlines arena. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great giveaways, but uh, anytime you give away free food and drink, people usually leave pretty happy. Now, our last thing I wanted to throw out there, another little tidbit. Nike's most recent quarterly reports were made public this week, and their endorsement and sponsorship financial commitments, they now total $3.4 billion, with a B, as of the end of February. In the last two years, the amount of money that Nike owes athletes, teams, and leagues rose 105%. That figure has jumped 21% alone in the last nine months. My guess is that a lot of that money is going to soccer in Europe, Tiger Woods, and Michael Jordan. Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan. That's where most of it's going. Well, and the interesting thing about Jordan and Woods, their deals, they're actually partners. They not only get paid uh, endorsement money, but they also get a cut of the profits of Nike Golf and the Jordan brand. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports, Jerry Brewer from the Seattle Times, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Enjoy the NBA playoffs, and we'll talk to you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.